Christian Belt. And we're in a series right now looking at a letter in the New Testament written by the Apostle Peter. And we're using his letter to help us discern the difference between what is true and, and what is a lie. We're using this to discern in our lives, in our culture, what is the difference between what is true and what is a lie. And this is an important thing for us to figure out in all of our lives. I want you to think for a moment, how many of you at some point in your life received some advice from someone? Okay, how many of you, that was your mother? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hi, Mom, if you're watching online. Okay, um, we receive advice all the time, right? What we should do in our lives, how we should spend our money, who we should date, what school we should go to, what education we could get, what career path we should take. We're always getting advice from different people. Now, how many of you got some advice at one point in your life, and this was great advice? Like, when you heard it, you're like, oh my goodness, I definitely need to do this. This is great advice. And you did exactly the advice they gave you, and it was bad. It was bad advice. Any of you, that's happened? Yeah, I remember when it happened to me. I remember one example of this. I was in college, and you might find this hard to believe, because back when I was in college, I wasn't as cool and suave as I am now, okay? Uh, I know, it's hard to believe, but back in college, I was really dorky and, and awkward and a geek. I know, it's hard to picture, okay? And, and there was this girl in my chemistry class, you know? And again, it's hard to believe, you know, that I'd have a problem talking to girls, Right? So there was this girl in my chemistry class who was always talking to me, was always copying my notes, was always cheating on me when we had a quiz. You know, and she was so friendly and she was so nice. And so I kind of had this crush, right? And I was like, but I'm not the type of guy to like do anything about it. You know, ask Danielle. You know, she asked me out. Okay? Sorry, babe. Um, so anyway, so I'm sitting there, but I got some advice from a really good friend. This really good friend said, Kevin, she likes you too. <gasps> really? I would never have imagined. Okay. So, and then another friend said, Kevin, no, no, it's true. She likes you. Ask her to a movie. And then a third friend says, Kevin, no, no, it's really true. This girl likes you. So, based on the testimony of three of my good friends, I asked this girl out to a movie. And the sheer look of disgust on her face, when I asked her out, showed me that my friends suck. <laughs> How many of you have friends like that? Okay, especially as guys, we seem to have friends where it's like, yeah, let's watch this boy suffer. Okay, my friends thought it was hilarious because they knew flat out this girl had no interest in me whatsoever. She was only friendly to me so she could pass chemistry. In the other service, everyone went, aw, at that point. Thank you. Appreciate the pity. No. It turned out great. I married someone a million times better. Okay? But that actually sent me in a spiral during that semester at school. It caused some anxiety to come out. It caused some depression to come out. I ended up flunking that class. And a bunch of other classes, too. I was nervous. I was awkward. I didn't want people to see me. I was so radically embarrassed. And, you know, it sounded like good advice. But it was a lie. It was bad advice. And you and I, we go through life all the time receiving advice. 
in our marriages, in our finances, in our education, in our careers? What about in things of faith? How often we are getting advice in things of faith. And if we're not careful, we need to be discerning on what is true and what is a lie. What is good advice and what is bad advice disguised as good advice. So we're going to talk about what it looks like when pe- what it, what the type of person who that gives this bad advice. We want to Peter calls false teachers. So if you have a Bible with you, we're going to read from 2 Peter chapter 2. And if you don't own a Bible, there is one in the chair in front of you. You can take that and keep it. That is our gift to you this morning. You can turn to the Bible in your chair to page uh, 1,225. If you're watching this online, you can download the church app, and there's a button in there to get a free Bible, and you can download the Version Bible app directly on your phone as well. Now, before we get into today's text, and I'm going to warn you right now, today's text is not light and fluffy. If you're familiar with this letter, you're going, I can't believe he's about to hit 2 Peter chapter 2. Well, my goal was to not hit on this chapter. My hope was our guest speaker last week was going to hit on this chapter because it's so tough. And so this guy's smarter than me and he's working on a PhD, so I figured Dave could do a better job of hitting it. And he read it and he said, uh, no, you need to do that one yourself as the pastor of your church. So he chickened out because I tried to chicken out, so now I'm hitting on it today. So again, not light and fluffy. Let's just be prepared for that. But you have to understand the context that this was written before we get into it. Because this is written, again, by the Apostle Peter, who is one of Jesus' most trusted followers. And Peter had to deal with a very difficult situation in the early church. He had to deal with what is known as false teachers. These were men who were getting into the church and were going against the teachings of the apostles, going against the teachings of the prophets, going against the teachings of the scriptures that they had available to them. And Peter took this as a really, really big deal. Because what was happening in the early church was the apostles were teaching that Jesus is going to return soon. Right? Jesus went to the cross. He died for the sins of mankind. He goes into a tomb for three days. He is resurrected. He goes around for a number of days of teaching and, and, and kind of building up his disciples. He ascends to heaven. And before he returns to heaven, he says, I'm going to come back to set up my eternal kingdom. He goes to heaven. Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to come in power on the church. And the apostles are now going around preaching about Jesus and the resurrection to come and that Jesus will return soon. I want you to imagine for a moment you're a parent. Shouldn't be hard for most of you. And you go to your children and say, guess what, boys and girls? We're going to go to Disneyland soon. That soon better be really soon. Can you imagine doing that to a poor kid? We're going to go to Disneyland soon and make that kid wait 30 years, 40 years, 50 years. Like, man, my parents stink. They told me we were going to Disneyland soon. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> my parents, man, this is what happened. So they're anticipating this return of Jesus soon. 
And it doesn't feel like soon. It's taking a long time, 30 years, 40 years, for anything to happen. So these teachers started creeping in saying, the apostles are wrong. Don't listen to them. That forgiveness has already come and we're completely clean. It doesn't matter how we live our lives. We can sleep around, we can drink, we can live any way that we want, we can be mean to people, it doesn't matter. Just live any way you want, enjoy the world, because all your sins have been forgiven by Jesus. And that message sounds really good. It sounds like a great way to live. I can do whatever I want, because I have forgiveness, and I don't have to worry about anything anymore. But Peter was kind of adamantly saying that, no, it does matter. It absolutely matters that even though it's been years and we're still waiting 2,000 years later for Jesus to return, it matters that we are living lives in the anticipation of the soon return of Jesus. And that's what he's writing about from prison. So I'm going to read a few verses from 2 Peter chapter 2. I'm not going to read the whole chapter. I'd encourage you to read the whole thing tonight before you go to bed tonight. And email me tomorrow what kind of dreams you have after you read through this. Because it's not easy to read. But I want us to look at these false teachers that Peter is warning the church about. So this is where it starts in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. Peter writes, There were also false prophets among the people. What he's referring to here, he's referring back to the earlier chapter when he's talking about the Israelites. He's talking about the people of God. Because back in the Old Testament days, God would raise up a prophet who would bring the word of God to the people of God. And even back then, there were false prophets. Men who were going around saying that they were from God, but weren't actually from God. And then Peter continues, and he says, So there were false prophets among the people then, just as there will be false teachers among you. Like, Peter is almost speaking in the prophetic here. He's telling the church that throughout the history of the people of God, interwoven into God's story is a thread of the demonic. That even with the people of God from the beginning of time to the calling of a church, this new church, that there's this falseness that's constantly there. And we have to be mindful of it. It existed then, it exists in the time of Peter, and there will be constantly these false teachers, a thread of the demonic in the tapestry of God's people. And this is how he continues. He says, They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought, him, who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will, many, many, in the Greek it means many, a whole lot of people, will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. 
except it's a very light and fluffy passage. But Peter is adamantly warning about these false teachers that are making their way into the Christian community. What he's not talking about here, he's not talking about other religions, and he's not talking about different viewpoints, different interpretations, different preferences. He's talking about people that were bringing teaching in that clearly go against the teaching of the apostles, that goes against the teaching of the prophets, that goes against the teachings of the word of God. And this is a big deal to him. Right? He starts talking about these, there were these good prophets. There were these good teachers. Right? The good teachers are the ones who come not with their own wisdom, but the ones who come with the wisdom that comes only from God, that comes from the Word of God, that comes from a, a meaningful relationship with God, a, a, a wisdom that is carried along by God through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so Peter goes into this deep warning about false teachers. And did you know that pretty much every single book in the New Testament addresses the topic of false teachers? There's like maybe two or three where it's not completely clear, but it's implied. It's in every book of your New Testament, this idea, this warning against false teachers. It's almost like the apostles take this as problem number one in the world. We don't see the apostles protesting government. We don't see them angry over certain ways that people are living their lives. We don't see them running around condemning lost, sinful, hurting, broken people. We don't see them throwing Bibles at non-Christians. We see them cleaning house constantly on guard because their teaching is not just a different interpretation it's not just a different denomination it's destructive peter calls it their heresies while i was away for the past couple of weeks i'm going through this leadership training and it's specifically designed for leaders at midlife i think what they're trying to do is help us who are at midlife to stop buying motorcycles and stop doing stuff that's stupid and to uh, kind of deal with our midlife crisis in a healthy way. I'm actually fully enjoying my midlife crisis. It's a blast. I'm loving it. I can't wait. I'm going to show up here with a stupid motorcycle one day. Pray for me. Pray for Danielle. But um, one of the things that we had to do during this leadership time is we had to really spend some time looking inward, looking in ourselves. And can we actually say what some of our core values are as a person, as a leader, as a husband, as a father, as a pastor, as a Christian? Do we know what our core values are? Because so many of us in our life and in our leadership, we're just going through the motions. Some people are living their lives like my core value is to make money. It's to pay the bills. It's to just make sure my wife isn't mad at me. Whatever it is, like we have to, we're just living and going through life. And you only really know you're hitting up against one of your core values when you come into the, those tense moments. And it's like, why is this bothering me so much? Why am I struggling with this so much? Well, it's because you're hitting up against one of the core values of who you are, how God made you. So one of the things I learned about myself over this leadership time I was away is one of my core values is safety. I take safety very seriously. My wife is sitting there going like this because she drives with me. <laughs> and if you've ever been in a car with me, you'll know safety is one of my core values. I drive like an old lady. In fact, that's an insult to old ladies. 
Okay, old ladies drive better than I do. I do like the speed limit, and it's like maybe a few kilometers under it. If there's someone else in my car, if you know Danielle takes her seatbelt off because you've got to like adjust your jacket, it's like, oh, you're killing me! Wait, stop it! You know, and and I'm aware of everything around me while I'm driving. Everything. Oh, wild turkeys! A squirrel! You know, this morning driving to church, we saw a coyote. There was a coyote in the field in Orleans as we're driving to church. No one else saw it. Because I'm like just aware. I'm aware. I'm aware. I'm just constantly looking around. Drive people crazy. And when I drive with you, I just want to give you some advice. You don't need to be making eye contact with me while you're talking to me while you're driving. Knock it off! <laughs> Drives me nuts. Look at the road. You don't need to look me in the eyes while we're talking and you're driving. Look straight. Okay? Safety's a big deal for me. <laughs> Ask my children. When they were learning to swim, why would you want to do that? Water will kill you. Stay out of the pool. Water will kill you. Now, don't take a bath. Take a shower. You're going to drown. Okay? Like, I hate water. Hate it. Hate it. Hate it. Okay, balloons. Who invented those? They're a death trap for children. Don't give your child. Man, you come to church on Sunday morning with your toddler and you let these little kids chew on balloons. That will kill them. Get stuck in their throat, and I watch this, and I'm just like, I gotta go to my office. I just have to go to my office. It freaks me out. Safety is a big deal for me, (laughs) maybe a little obsessively. But I actually bring that safety into the church, (laughs) where I look at Peter's teaching on the topic of false teachers. When I look at the entire New Testament, warning us to be on guard of false teachers. I think this is teaching that is so radically important for us to be mindful of as the church today. A number of months ago, I was preaching a sermon, and I don't even remember what it was about. I love when people come up to me and said, hey, when you said four weeks ago, I don't know what I said this morning. Don't, don't quote me from four weeks ago. Okay? But four, months ago, I did this sermon, and I can't remember what it was on, but I was talking about that, this false teaching that someone had taken a verse way out of context, and there's a number of Christians that are living this verse out in a way that I firmly believe is false. And I called that, and I quote, because I do remember saying this, I said it was teaching from the pit of hell. Now, I have a couple of friends of mine in the church here who hold me accountable. We get together regularly, and they, you know, kind of talk to me about my sermons and kind of help correct my theology, and they're walking with me that way. So I don't need 300 people to email me when I'm wrong, (laughs) but you can if you want. But uh, I've got people who are walking with me on this. And uh, and this person kind of, this buddy of mine said, you know what, that might have been a little over the top. We understand, Kevin, you're French-Canadian, you get a little passionate sometimes, maybe you're just kind of, you know, exaggerating a bit. I said, well, this is what the Bible says. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, it says, In the later times, some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and the doctrine of demons. That's in your Bible. It's in your New Testament that in the church there will be false prophets and false teachers whose teaching is demonic from the pit of hell. Like I said, it's not light and fluffy, but it's truth. And so we need to be mindful of this. And so Peter... In the chapter of 2 Peter chapter 2, 
gives us clues so that you and I can identify false teachers. And so I want to not focus on all of them, but we're just going to highlight three of them in our time together today. And the purpose of highlighting these things is not so you can start emailing everyone and start accusing everyone of being a heretic and being a false teacher. Don't do that. Okay? Don't, if that's your big takeaway, it's like, yay, I now have permission to email every pastor and elder that I don't like. No, you misinterpreted the point of today's message. And I'm going to tell you at the end what the point of looking at this is. But let's start by looking at the words of Peter and identify three ways that we can false teachers. The first point is this, and I encourage you to write these down so you can talk about them in your life group. The first is this, is no humility. If you want to spot a false teacher, you'll see no humility. Again, 2 Peter chapter 2, starting in the second part of verse 10, talking about these false teachers, says they are bold and arrogant. They are not afraid to heap abuse on celestial beings. Yet even angels, although they are stronger and more powerful, do not heap on such beings when bringing judgment on them from the Lord. But these people blaspheme in matters they do not understand. They're like unreasoning, unreasoning animals, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed. And like animals, they too will perish. What Peter is reminding the church is that these leaders have absolutely no humility. They're, they're talking about spiritual things with this boasting and with this pride that they are so holy and they have received special insight from the Lord that even the angels must bow before them, even the seraphim. Like when you read the book of Revelation with these crazy creatures that are in heaven, these teachers are going, who are they in comparison to me? How holy and great I am. And Peter says, holy smokes, don't do that. <laughs> Whew. Humility. This boastfulness, this boldness, this arrogance that's coming from these teachers. Now, some of you might be wondering... Especially if you're kind of a good, if you're a Bible person and you kind of study the words in the Bible, the word bold. Some of you might be thinking, but wait a minute, weren't the apostles also described as men who were bold? Couldn't they be falling in the same category? Well, it's interesting when you unpack and you study these words. In the book of Acts, whenever the book of Acts talks about the apostles calling them bold, it actually uses the Greek word parousias. And this means confidence. That the apostles were men who were confident. And when you unpack that even more, it wasn't that they were confident in themselves. They were confident in the resurrected Jesus. And that's the word that's used all the time when talking about the apostles. But the word that we translate into bold when talking about false teachers is actually the Greek word tolmetes, which means audacious. That these teachers are not confident in Jesus. They are audacious. They're arrogant in of themselves. They think they're so great. These false teachers believe that they are so important that even the celestial beings, even the creatures of heaven, must bow to their whims. And Peter warns the church, that we need to be mindful of Christian leaders, 
of people in the church who show no humility. Because the Bible teaches again and again and again that the children of God, whether you're a leader or not, will be recognized by our humility. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 2 says, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Colossians 3.12 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. James chapter 4, verse 6 says, But he gives us more grace, talking about God, and says that's why the scripture says, God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. The life of a false teacher will show no humility. Now, I don't know if it's just simply my core value of safety, but I get very uncomfortable around Christians who brag on their holiness. And I've been around them. I get very uncomfortable, especially around leaders who use language. Who are you to touch the Lord's anointed? Who use language like, no one can interpret the scriptures like this person can. To language like, Jesus needs me to accomplish his mission. (laughs) My spider sense just goes crazy. The little hairs in the back. Ever since I started shaving my head, I got these new things that pop up when my spider sense tingles. And there's just something about those words that I go on guard. I go on guard because, you know what? Jesus doesn't need me. I'm dust. I'm dust. You're dust. Jesus doesn't need you. But Jesus has chosen us. In his mercy, in his grace, in his sovereignty, that we can be a part of his mission, that we can be a part of the work that he wants to do in the world, and it's a joy and a privilege. So we just have to be mindful of this. Going around, if if Christian leaders have got to go around telling people how spiritual they are, why do you need to tell people that? Shouldn't they just see it? (laughs) Shouldn't it just be evident? If you've got to go around saying how holy you are, maybe there's a problem there. It's no humility. So the second thing that we can look at from the teaching of Peter here when it comes to false teachers First, we saw no humility. The second thing that we see is no modesty. There's no modesty. Here in 2 Peter, I'm going to jump down to verse 13. Again, talking about these false teachers, it says they will be paid back with harm for the harm that they've done. This isn't just a, I interpret the Bible differently. They are doing harm to people with the way they teach and what they believe. Right? Their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. They are blots and blemishes. Reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. They are experts in greed and a cursed brood. They have left the straight way and have wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Bizar, who loved the wages of wickedness. This is like there's no modesty in these leaders. What Peter is talking about here, he's talking about the sinful deeds of these men. They're boasting in them. They're proud of them. They're bragging on it. It's like, I can live this way because I'm forgiven, because of my holiness, because of my righteousness. 
And when it's talking about seduction, it's not necessarily simply just talking about sexual seduction, but I'm sure that's a part of it. But it's also about seducing people out of their money. It's also about seducing people to follow their leadership instead of the apostles. They're using their cunning, they're using their wits to seduce what Peter calls here the unstable. It's the new Christian. The new, like the Jewish people, the the Greek people who are coming to faith in Jesus, they're unstable. They don't really know what they believe yet. They've heard about Jesus. They're putting their faith in Jesus. They're being discipled. But they're, they're kind of still new. They don't have a New Testament yet that they're studying. They can't go online and download the latest Bible study. So they're unstable in their faith. And these leaders are showing no modesty and just seducing them away. In fact, Peter talks about that they're even doing this flat out during the feast. This feast that Peter is talking about is the love feast. When Christians get together and share a meal together, poor and rich, all putting their food together and coming in unity to break bread and to drink from the cup of Christ, to take communion together. In communion, they're boasting on their sinfulness. Imagine how that would go in a communion service on a Sunday morning. (laughs) Bragging and bragging. Be just like me because I'm so awesome. No modesty at all. Which is the exact opposite of the teaching of the apostles. (laughs) The apostles never went around and said, be like me because I'm great. Be like me because I'm awesome. Be like me because Jesus loves me the best. Paul went around saying, I'm the least of these. I know my sin greater than anybody else, and I am unworthy. Peter said, I am unworthy. John the Baptist said, I am unworthy. Everyone said they're unworthy. But what they always said is just, well, you know what? Follow my example, because I'm following the example of Jesus. They always point to Jesus. Follow him. Don't follow me. Don't argue over what church is better, who, which Bible teacher is better, what Bible translation is better. Follow Jesus. <laughs> this preacher is better than that preacher. Or this guy's better than that guy. This gal's better than that gal. <sighs> Follow Jesus. <laughs> Follow Jesus. It was the message of the apostles constantly. So we see evidence of false teachers. We see no humility. We see, we see no modesty. And the last thing I want to talk about is we see no freedom. We see no freedom. In 2 Peter chapter 2, in verse 17, it says, These people, these false prophets, these false teachers, are springs without water. They're in a mist driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them. For they mouth empty, boastful words. And by appealing to the lustful desires of the flesh, they entice people who are just escaping from, from those who live in error. They promise them freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity. (laughs) These men offer no freedom in their teaching. They offer no forgiveness of sin. They, They offer no right relationship with God. They're still trapped in their own sin. And they're calling other people to follow me as the example. There's no freedom happening here. And Peter acknowledges that that message looks good. It looks tempting. Doesn't it sound so tempting 
in the world we live in today is just do whatever you want. Live any way you want. Use your sexuality any way you want. Use your money any way you want. Use your time any way you want. Just do whatever you want as long as you feel good. Doesn't that sound like a great message? That's what the world believes. But the problem is that's a lie. There's no freedom in that. It leads to destruction. It leads to despair. It leads to pain. It leads to heartache. The idea that the world wants us to believe that all path leads to God as long as you're just good with it yourself. It's not what the Word of God says. It's not what Jesus taught. It's not what the apostles taught. Jesus said there's one way to God the Father. And it's through God the Son. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's not one of many options. He's the way, the truth, the life. And Jesus says, whoever the Son sets free will be free indeed. And these false prophets, these false teachers offer no freedom. Because they themselves are trapped in their sin. So does this still matter today? Right? Is this just some good teaching and it's like, oh, okay, that's cool. I never saw this before. Great. I'm going to write it in a piece of paper and stick it in a binder and put it on a shelf and never look at it again. Right? Or does this matter today? Well, I think this does. Because look what Peter says. I'm going to go back to verse 2. In 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2, this is what Peter writes. This is why this is so important for the church to hear. Peter says this, Many will follow their depraved conduct and bring the way of truth into disrepute. Many will hear this. Many will follow this. And it will bring the way of truth into disrepute. Right? Back in Peter's day, the church was new. Right? And, and people weren't too sure about these Christians. Like the Christians would start these new churches in kind of Greek communities, Roman communities, Jewish communities, and they'd hear stuff. It's like, hey, did you hear like Bob and Sue? They, they get a bunch of people that meet in their basement and they eat the flesh of Jesus and they drink his blood. And they want me to come over and join them. I think I'll pass. That sounds a little creepy. That sounds like a cult. I'm not too sure I want to be hanging out with people that are eating flesh and drinking blood. So the people of those days, they weren't too sure about the message of Jesus. They weren't too sure about the church. So Peter is warning them, no, you have to follow true teaching. You've got to follow our teaching. Don't listen to these false teachers because you're going to bring the church into disrepute. You're going to create a bad reputation for the church. Fast forward 2,000 years. Look at the world that we live in now. People, when it comes to the message of Jesus, the church, eh, not too sure I want to hang out with a Christian, not too sure we should invite a Christian to have a voice at the table. I love when I meet non-Christians and they find out I'm a Baptist pastor. <laughs> You want to walk around with a big stamp on your forehead? Become a Baptist pastor. And go walk around the streets of Ottawa and talk to politicians and talk to people. They go, I don't know if I want to 
want to talk to a Baptist pastor. Our reputation goes before us. Maybe we're in disrepute. Maybe. Because we've been following some false teaching. That's why it's so important. Because we live in a world today that desperately needs to know the truth of Jesus. I believe more than ever. Like, I'm not the type of guy who goes around and says, oh, the days are short, Jesus is coming soon. But the days are short. (laughs) Jesus is coming soon. (laughs) Whether the days are short for his actual return or the days are short of my life on earth, they're short. I'm old. I don't know how it happened, but somehow I got old recently. I wake up in the morning and I'm sore. What's the deal? I didn't do anything. I'm just getting out of bed. And my back hurts, okay? The days are short, (laughs) really short. And we have people we love, who we care about, who we desperately want to know the truth about Jesus and his love. And the days are short. So we have to look at this and we have to be very, I hate to use the word suspicious, but maybe we need to be a little bit more mindful of what is being taught in Christian circles today. We live in a culture today where there is so much Christian teaching available. You could go on YouTube and watch anybody and anything. And there's so much teaching available. If you spent all of your life just watching all this stuff online, you would not even touch 5% of it in a lifetime. There's so much stuff available. And we don't know who we're watching. We could be watching this guy who's in his mom's basement who thinks he's this spiritual authority, leading people astray, bringing false teaching into people's lives, causing disrepute on the message of truth that the apostles taught us. So important. You know, like I use the analogy, like this is why it's important to recognize a false teacher. If you don't see any humility, you don't see any modesty, you don't see any freedom, well then don't drink the Kool-Aid they're offering. Right, if you got some teacher that you're listening to online and say, hey, here, I got this Kool-Aid because the spaceship's coming and we got to drink the Kool-Aid so we, our spirit can leave the body and we can all go into the spaceship. That sounds crazy talk. It happened. People drank the Kool-Aid and died to go into the spaceship. Now, I'm a sci-fi guy. I'd love to see the spaceship too. But I'm not drinking the Kool-Aid. At all. This culture we live in, we've got to be so mindful. So this is important, but why is this important? Why is it important? Not just so that the church comes in disrepute. I love how Peter says this in chapter 3, verse 1. The reason he writes all about this, the reason he wants us looking at the life of a false teacher is this. He says in chapter 3, verse 1, he says, I've written both of them, meaning his two letters, 1 Peter and 2 Peter. I've written these things as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. He wants you as a Christian to use your head. He, He wants you to think it through. Don't just blindly follow anybody. Use your head a little bit. Let this stimulate you to wholesome thinking. So a passage like this is not to be used so we can start emailing everyone who we think is a heretic. (laughs) 
The point of a passage like this is so that we can ponder it, we can wrestle through it, we can kind of digest it, talk about it in our life groups, apply it into our life to stimulate us to wholesome, wholesome thinking. My lisp is going to come back with that phrase. Seven years of speech therapy still comes back. Wholesome thinking. A passage like this should get us to think, who do I follow? Who am I letting speak into my life spiritually? Who am I watching online? What leaders do I follow? Because there's so much teaching out there. And do you see them living a life of humility and modesty and freedom? Are they boastful and proud? What about how you should pray? A passage like this should radically change how you and I pray. Because there's a thread of the demonic in the church. False teachers will be among you. We should pray against that. Pray for me. That I stick to this. That I stick to this. Not my opinion. Not what I think. But what this says. (laughs) That leaders in our churches across this city would be men and women who are following the truth of God's word. We need to pray for that. We live in the nation's capital. If any place could have an impact in the world, it's here in Ottawa. That we impact culture for the glory of God. So we need to pray that way. We have a prayer meeting happening this Tuesday. It happens all day long. I would encourage you, come to the building at some point during the day and spend some time praying. Pastors like this should change how we pray. Pray for our church. Pray for the city. Pray for our nation. That the church would rise up and that we would have a voice at the table again. And not to criticize and condemn and to protest, but because people see us as people worth talking to. Because we know truth. And they see our love. And they see our compassion. So this should change. We should think about how we're praying. This also should wrestle. We should wrestle with how am I living Right? The teachers that I follow, are they causing me to become divisive? If the people that I'm, the teaching I'm listening to are making me go to my church leaders or go to other churches and criticize people and criticize these people, these people are wrong and these people are wrong and you're becoming arrogant and bold and prideful. If you're following teaching that's making you like that, you might not be becoming like Jesus. You might be becoming like a Pharisee. The teacher that you follow should help you become more like Christ. See, more patience, gentleness, love, humility, joy, mercy, long-suffering, all the fruit of the Spirit. That should be coming out of the teaching that we're taking in. So how do we live the teaching we take in actually helping us become more like Jesus? So we need to go through a passage like this. And again, encourage you to read it. This thing's crazy when you read this. Read it tonight before you go to bed. And understand that this has been written, this has been given to you to stimulate in you wholesome thinking. Wholesome thinking. That ultimately it would point you to who Jesus is. And the freedom that comes from knowing him. That we're called to follow people who are humble, who are modest, who are experiencing the freedom that only comes from Jesus. That we can truly look to our leaders and we can truly look to the people that are walking in life with us and we can truly follow their example as they're following Christ. So let's pray together.
Heavenly Father, I praise you that we can gather as your children and even go through um, passages of the Bible that can be difficult. Um, but there, it's your word, and your word is sharp, and it can cut. It can sting sometimes, but God, it cuts and stings in a good way. As it opens up our hearts and it helps to reveal a little bit more of who you are and who we are in relationship to you. So, Father, for all of us today, I pray that this passage would help stimulate in us wholesome thinking. That you would use us, Father, in order to, um, man, just to see your name lifted up in our city, in our families, in our communities, in our school, wherever we, we may go, Lord, as we follow you, as we follow good teaching, as we follow sound doctrine. I pray that you would transform us more and more. Now, you might be here today, or you might be watching this online, and you might be thinking, you know, I'm not 100% sure I believe like you do, uh, and, and that's okay. I'm really so glad that you're here and that you might be listening to this online. But I, I, I believe that there are no accidents, and I believe God brought you here for a reason, and I believe that reason is to hear how much God loves you. That God loves you so much that he would send his one and only son. And that God loves you so much that he wants to make you new. He wants to set you free from your sin, from your pain, from your sorrow, from your hurt. And he wants to do that not by you being religious and keeping all these rules, but just by believing in the one that he sent, believing in the Lord Jesus. And you can do that real simply, sitting in your chair or watching online, by simply praying a prayer to God saying, God, thank you that you sent Jesus. Thank you that Jesus died for me. Lord, today I believe that. Today I accept that. Come into my life and make me new. And if you've prayed that prayer today, if you're here, I'd love to talk to you in the cafe afterwards. Or if you're online, send me a private message. I'd love to follow up with you. But I just want you to know how much God loves you. And he wants more for you than you even want for yourself. And he wants us to follow his truth in love, in humility, in modesty, and in freedom. We're going to collect our tithes and our offerings now. This is just a way that we give back. This is part of our spiritual act of worship. Uh, if you're watching online, you can download the church app and you can click the button to give online as well. But if you're a guest, please don't feel any obligation to give. This is for those who call Greenbelt their home and it's part of our worship. So I'm going to pray for our offering now. Lord God, I praise you for the generosity of your children, that you take our first fruits and you multiply it greatly for your glory. God, I pray that you would use this tithe and this offering to continue your amazing work here in our city and around the world. And Holy Spirit, as we continue to worship, I pray that you would minister to our hearts, guide us in all truth, help us to know who to follow, help us to know how to pray, and guide us in how we live. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.